Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, folks. Whoever is out there, whoever will be out there, uh, this is Dr. Simon, and as always, the show is The Stories We Live By, and I wanted to do a second show on what I call psychotherapy, putting the uh, therapy in quotes. Uh, and let me just uh, uh, back up from to last week and kind of go over some of the points that I made last week that, unfortunately, uh, psychotherapy has become, or really always was as it developed in the modern era, an adjunct of psychiatry and hooked on to psychiatry and started to uh, define people who were in, in uh, emotional difficulty, who were depressed, anxious, confused, individuals who may have retreated into a fantasy uh, that uh, they couldn't or didn't want to get out of, individuals who uh, committed crimes, all kinds of unwanted behavior as sick, as mentally ill or mentally distorted, uh, disordered or mentally distorted. That's a pretty good way of putting it, too. Um, and the problem with this is that uh, what we were really saying, I believe, is that the way people behaved or the way people thought was wrong and that they were, by being called sick, being defined as inferior, unworthy, uh, and bad. The behavior or the individual was bad. And certain diagnoses, such as schizophrenia, major depressive disorder, uh, borderline personality disorder, took on huge dimensions because what it did was really not just define some behavior or some uh, part of the personality that was unhappy, but the individual, uh, him or herself, was defined as inferior. And it would be one thing to say to somebody, you're bad, inferior, unworthy, unlovable. It's another when you hide it in pseudo-medical terminology. And so um, I talked about psychotherapy as uh, an important process, as a human process last week, um, one that would move from an authoritarian and totalitarian political system in which uh, power is maintained by the authority by defining as inferior using either moral terms, uh, you're a sinner, religious moral terms, you're a sinner, or political terms, you're a traitor, or increasingly the psychiatric term, you're sick, you're disordered, you're mentally ill. Uh, and, and controlling the individual by getting them to define themselves as inferior and unworthy to have an opinion or to define their own story and live by the life and the story that was given to them by whichever political, moral, or psychiatric authority that was defining them. And I believe, and I, have, I will say again and spend some time tonight, that the way out of this, if we look at it from a political, a moral point of view, 
is to not make judgments about individuals, uh, not to define them, but to help them understand themselves in such a way as they can talk about their history, talk about the kind of story they live by, and in talking about it and redefining it, come to own it and be able to change the character they think of themselves, going from inferior to uh, okay, uh, morally fine, an individual who's capable of doing things and making their life into something they want it more to be. And in the course of this uh, uh, 45 minutes, I'll try to describe what I think in my value system uh, the good life is. Because if we don't talk about people being sick, uh, then we can't talk about our therapy or our interaction with people as making them well. Uh, I have said this many times, mental illness is unwanted behavior, and therefore if we're trying to help people become mentally healthy, then we're helping them produce wanted behavior. By, we don't ask, wanted by whom? And all too often, the wanted behavior is defined by the church, by the political system, by the family, by parents, by school, and by the therapist, as wanted by them, but not necessarily wanted by the individual, who as an individual is struggling to find out who they are and how they can live a life that feels meaningful, purposeful, rich, creative, and loving by them. And so uh, I'm very much in my value system uh, in, uh, a concern with the individual and the individual becoming the master of their story. Now, what's so interesting to me is that while the entire field is really completely dominated by the psychiatric model, which, as I've spoken about, is inherently authoritarian and inherently totalitarian and dangerous because it pretends that the power that flows one way and not both ways, and that the uh, moral labels being used are not moral labels, but are medical labels, and therefore the whole process becomes hidden and becomes more dangerous uh, than any other system. I mean, it's one thing when people are called a sinner, they know they have been defined as morally wrong, as bad. Uh, if you've been called a traitor, uh, you know that you're in trouble with the political authority and the power uh, of a society that defines unwanted behavior as traitorous or dangerous uh, to whoever uh, defines the dangerousness. And, of course, it's usually the rich and the powerful who define it this way and uh, who define as selfish and as bad uh, and as immoral those who would question their prerogatives and their power uh, and their wealth. So um, what we have then uh, is a situation where the field is defined this way. I will talk sometime this hour uh, or the amount of time I have about the deal we all made with the insurance companies so that uh, many more therapists whether they were psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, social workers, psychiatric nurses, or whatever, 
could have patients because insurance now paid for the uh, relationship with the therapist. The problem with that that devil's bargain uh, was that uh, it meant that the only way there would be payment is if a psychiatric label were applied. Because if you're going to have medical insurance pay for something, then it makes sense to me, and it does make sense to me, that you should have a disease or a sickness or an illness or something pathological that has to be helped by the medical procedure. But here we have uh, unwanted behaviors. What we have is confusion and sadness, hopelessness, depression, self-hatred. What we have is all kinds of psychological beliefs and stories that don't allow an individual to get on with their life uh, or, or just get them to live in a, in a dependent uh, manner, an obedient manner, in which anything they want is selfishness uh, and disobedient, and anything that the authority in their life wants as morally correct, as right, all governed by this moral system. But fortunately, and uh, after 40 years in the field, I say it's fortunate, there are many good therapists who while they sign the insurance forms, and I'll talk about my own relationship to this a little later, uh, don't really take it that seriously. Now, early in my career, where there was very little insurance, people paid a reasonable fee and had a privileged uh, relationship with the therapist uh, in which even though there were definitions of mental illness, a small number of diagnostic categories, what the therapist did, and the many still do, is become involved with another human being and try to understand that human being and try to create a situation in which the individual feels politically safe. And I mean that in terms of all relationships in one way or another, having conflict and power to resolve it, uh, being democratic and and the individual feeling politically safe to say what they want to say without fear of serious judgment, without punishment, without threat, without threats of physical punishment or the more terrifying threats to most children, a withdrawal of love, being defined as somehow morally, psychologically inferior and therefore unlovable and not worthy of, of care and love, not worthy of being important, not worthy of having dignity. So most therapists who are, I consider, good therapists operate in a democratic type of system, and they operate in such a way, uh, often without realizing that's what they're doing. The insurance company has to be, uh, uh, the insurance form has to be filled out. There has to be a payment. Uh, I have I tried for a number of years towards the end of my first retirement in the middle 2004, 5, 6, to see individuals without insurance. But by that time, the idea was so crazy to people and so anathema to the idea uh, that uh, everything should be paid for by insurance. Um, that 
uh, it was very, it was very difficult and very unsuccessful an experiment. Uh, I would love to be able to see people, uh, without the insurance companies defi- demanding a diagnosis. I would love to be able to see individuals and talk openly. Well, I'll talk about that. I do speak openly about it. Uh, that the mental health system and all of its diagnostical characters, characteristics are nothing but moral judgments that create a moral hierarchy in which the doctor as the judge and the jury uh, condemns the individual with a label that is pseudo-medical and ultimately destructive to the kind of story I would like to see an individual live by. So, good therapists do work in a way where they make no judgments about what an individual tells them and therefore creates the feeling that it's safe to talk about the events that have shaped the story and the self-image that the individual now lives with and by and suffers with. Uh, It's very important that people feel safe when they enter into a relationship with another human being. Because when you're safe, you can talk about things that may have been terrifying to talk about uh, earlier in your life. Abuse, neglect, serious forms of punishment, nightmarish situations in relationships uh, that produced great terror, fear, uh, and anger. And unless this can be put into words and, and, and dealt with that way, it can never be owned. And this is what always amazed me when individuals were successful in a therapy with me or somebody else. They couldn't talk about, sometimes, they couldn't even allow themselves to think about events that were so horrific to them in their childhood events of sexual and physical abuse, uh, uh, events that involved a society in which there was terror, uh, in which there was death. Uh, One of the things that never seems to get talked about in our modern era are the psychological effects of the terror in a society that is being terrorized, where people are blown up and their heads are chopped off uh, where they're buried alive and stoned. Um, the absolute terror of that, which ultimately leads an individual to say, I will, I will follow the rules, and I will not only follow them in my behavior, but I won't even let myself think about or remember the terror for fear that I can be caught up in it. I will be the critic but I won't know I'm the critic of myself in which I bury, bury deeply all of the events that shaped the way I live my life. And hence, because I can't own it and, and feel free to deal with it, I can't change it. I can't say, these are relationships that are not good for me. Can I find new relationships? These are thoughts and feelings that have terrified me. But... They terrify me no longer. I remember the pain that they were involved with, but I can live with it. I can own it. They don't own me any longer.
Okay? So, the good therapist is without judgment. A good therapist treats the individual as an individual and as an equal. You cannot treat somebody as an equal if you see them as inferior to you. And the very definition of mental illness says that that individual is sick and inferior in a moral way because we're not dealing with a medical problem. We're dealing with a set of moral definitions. Um, let's see what else I want to talk about here. Okay. Uh, there are kinds of interesting things here. Uh, part of the thing I want to talk about tonight is if you find a good therapist, how do you know that they are the kind of therapist? Well, let me talk back, uh, go back to something else, and then I'll, get, I'll go forward again. If we're talking about morality and values, and that's what we're talking about, that the, the, the basic notion of mental illness is a set of moral values. Thou shalt not think, act, or behave, or speak in certain ways. You shouldn't. It's bad. And if you are bad this way, we will call you sick. And we will cure you uh, in one way or another, sometimes peacefully, sometimes violently, electroshock, we will use drugs, we will do what it takes to bring you into line with the authoritarian family, church, school, society that says you are not allowed to behave in this way. Uh, we, we will do this because we need to cure you of your sickness. If these are all values then, the goal of therapy has to be defined in terms of values. There's no other way around it. And so when I work with people, I don't think about I'm curing an illness and helping them become well or mentally healthy. I put this into moral and political terms. I put this into terms of the kind of story I would like to have an individual live by and the kind of story and the kind of behavior that I believe produces what my definition of mental health is, and that's a good life. Okay? See, with that, I'm talking about mental health, but the word health doesn't enter into it except metaphorically and symbolically. So what do I think the term mental health involves or my definition of a good life. Okay? So let me talk a little bit about that, and then I'll get back to some of the other issues uh, that relate to therapy and becoming a good patient of a good therapist. Okay? First, I think all individuals are unique and the same as everybody else at the same time. We are all human. There was a famous psychiatrist named Harry Stock Sullivan who said that all human beings are more human than otherwise. I think that's wonderful, and I agree with it. If you look at the people around you, sit in a room and look at all the faces around you, 
everybody, unless they're disfigured, unless they, they've had some kind of tragedy uh, that has, or a disease, they have the same face. Two eyes, a nose, a mouth, various amounts of hair on the head. I just had a haircut today. And boy, where has all my hair gone? And where has the color gone? But anyway, that's not here nor here, there. Everybody has the same human appearance. Watch people walk. They walk on two legs. They have two arms with hands. The way we live our lives as a human being is really the same from one person to another. We all share a common humanity. But at the same time, if you look at the faces sitting in a room around you, no two are the same. The eyes, the shape of the nose, the mouth, the color of the skin, the texture and the formation of the hair, and millions and millions of other things I could mention and variables differ from person to person. So that every face is unique and different from every other face. We all have a brain, and doctors fairly well now know what a healthy brain looks like and what a medically sick brain looks like. Yet, even though we all have the same brain, and if we're functioning in a healthy way, and I mean this now literally in the medical sense of having a healthy physical body and a healthy medical mind, a brain, uh, healthy, no disease, everything operating as it should. I believe that ultimately when we learn enough, we'll find that no two brains are exactly the same. The hard drive, to use that analogy, is different from one person to another. We are born into a family in which we are similar to many aspects of that family. And yet, even from the time we're infants, we're uniquely different. Now, why is this important? It's important for a number of reasons, I think. Because what it means is, we have to be our own unique self, and yet we have to be part of the human race. There has to be a balance between our individuality and the way we see the world and structure it and the story we create, and at the same time, be similar and live within stories of other human beings. And I don't think there's any way around this. To live as an individual without being involved with other human beings is to be lonely, it's to end up in prison, it's to be defined as psychotic, schizophrenic, seriously mentally ill, and here again, it's a moral judgment, but it's not a moral judgment that's a medical judgment. It is, in fact, saying that this individual has somehow failed to connect, for whatever reason, to his fellow human beings and share part of the story that they live by with those other fellow human beings. To be totally different is to be lonely. It is to be cut off from humanity and, I believe, to live in an untenable way. 
On the other hand, to succumb to the pressures of the authoritarian and the totalitarian system and become part of the mob, to lose one's individuality, is to give up one's creativity and never know the individual who you and I are. The choices we make are what we should do according to the values of the group, whether it's our family, whether it's our religion, whether it's the political system, being a Democrat or Republican. All authoritarian systems demand that individuality give way to a common theme, a common life story, and that all individual creativity not exist except to the degree that it's sanctioned by the political powers that run the system. This is a tragedy and one of the great tragedies of human relationships and human societies because that seems to me always to be the dominant system. And for many reasons, individuals out of fear or a sense of safety will gravitate into that kind of a system and become part of the mob. The political chest-thumping that we now see about good Americans and about the hatred of other religions uh, is, again, reminiscent of the kind of, of societies that Mao Zedong produced in China, that Stalin and the communists produced in Russia, that all kinds of religions historically produced where individuals are punished or even killed because they dare to express their own individual creative beliefs, that they say things according to their individuality that nobody else could say because nobody else could exactly, exactly see the world as they do. So, there's a danger. The danger is to give up on humanity because of the story we have constructed, always with the help of others, to, to leave humanity and become a lonely, unhappy, deranged individual without any connection, without any ability to say or hear with another human being, I love you and I care for you. Uh, that is, is one of the terrors of human existence. Uh, when dictatorships want to punish, and this is, again, not only political dictatorships, but religious dictatorships and family dictatorships, school dictatorships, they isolate individuals. They demand that nobody speak to them. Uh, they demand that the individual be left completely alone. To lock somebody in solitary confinement is one of the most awful of all punishments. To be cut off from one's fellow human beings is an ultimate terror. It is worse than death and often leads to death. Many of the older people I work with here in Florida uh, have lost their loved ones. Uh, they've lost their friends. Uh, they're now in some form of nursing home, uh, drugged and defined as mentally ill if they're unhappy, major depressive disorder, other things. Uh, and, and life has no real meaning for them. 
On the other hand, to run with the mob creates an illusion of safety, an illusion of identity, and yet inside, I believe, every individual cries out to say, I have a vision, I have a poem, I have a song, I have something I need to say. I want to cook a meal for somebody that nobody else can cook. I want to dance a dance that nobody has ever seen. I want to write music. I want to write poetry. I want to do something that defines me as the individual. And good therapy, good therapy promotes that kind of a balance between being connected to the human race on your own terms, being being uh, loyal, being good to other people, uh, and hoping they will be good to you in return, and at the same time being uh, uh, an individual. If I cast this in political terms, and I do, it means being a good citizen. There was a time about 20-some-odd years ago that I realized that if I were really successful with individuals as a therapist, they would vote. And when I talked about this with many of my colleagues, they thought I was crazy. What does being mentally sick or mentally healthy have to do with voting? And the answer is they're not sick and they're not healthy. They are individuals who have to live in a world both as individuals and live at the same time in, in, in concert with other individuals. How do we work out our relationships? Hopefully, in a democratic system, for whatever its problems, as Winston Churchill said, no way to live in a democracy. It's no way for people to live in a democracy. It's just better than any other way for anybody to live. But to work this out in such a way as that the individual thrives, develops and owns their own story, but at the same time helps others live as best they can. That when the inevitable conflicts between individuals occurs, it is resolved without the destruction of anybody's individuality or anybody being totally isolated and thrown out and, and, and uh, uh, left alone because of their individual stories and individual personalities and the way they feel they have to live. Uh, provided, of course, and I should add this, that what they do is not criminal or destructive or hurtful because the most totalitarian of people are very often criminals. When somebody holds you up with a gun and takes what they want from you, uh, this can't be justified politically because it is this ultimate destruction of somebody and their body and their morality and their mind by somebody who says, my needs are important and yours are not. I think I've made this clear. So, let me talk about finding a good therapist. A therapist in quotes. Somebody who may even demand or has to demand with you that you're going to sign the insurance forms. And again, I'm going to close on a little bit of a discussion of that because that is a very important issue, especially now that I've come unretired and I'm looking to work with people and I want to be paid. 
for my time. I'm not looking to uh, uh, be a saint because I'm not. Uh, I want to help, but I want uh, to be rewarded for my help economically. No guilt about that. First, you have to walk in to your therapist, your prospective therapist's office, saying to yourself, I am not sick, and asking the therapist and telling the therapist, I don't believe mental health, mental illness exists literally. I am not literally sick. I am unhappy. I'm confused. I want to figure out a better way to live my life. I want to understand better the family relationships that I come from that shape me. I want to understand how uh, the socioeconomics of my upbringing, the fact that I grew up rich or poor or whatever, I want to understand how these things have shaped me. I want to understand what I don't understand. I don't want to feel as confused. I don't want to feel as conflicted as I do. Can you help me without calling me sick? Can you help me without defining me as mentally ill? Okay? I think this is reasonable and I think this is fair. And I think if you do this, you will find a number of therapists who simply won't work with you because they'll think you're the craziest person they have seen in many a long year. But many will. Because deep down, there are many, many, many of the people working in my field who hate what the field has become. Because deep down, whether they say it out loud and they know it, or they, it, it's buried within them that this system is corrupt and this system is ultimately damaging to the people who come for help and the people who provide the help. Okay? Second... When you sit and talk to an individual, do they look you in the eyes? Do you feel they're connected to you? Do they feel you, that you feel they care? Do they hear you? I think this is incredibly important. Part of the problem that people have when they go to a therapist is that they're so beaten down and they feel so inferior. They have so labeled by the society that they live in. They are so much the product of the, of the underside of an authoritarian and a totalitarian family or school or religion that the idea that they are the equal of the therapist as a human being and can demand that equality and that respect uh, is beyond them. So if you're listening to me, this is something you have to think about in my value system and in my psychology. You are the equal of the therapist. Now, this doesn't mean that you may know all that the therapist knows. I was watching the U.S. Open final yesterday. This morning I played some tennis. I don't feel that I could even stand on a court with Rafael Nadal. I couldn't hit a ball that he hit to me. It would take my arm off. He is a much better tennis player than I am. Not just better, infinitely better. But as a human being, I'm not in awe of him. He is a person and I am a person. 
and that his value and the pleasure he gives me, uh, 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 along with Federer and, and Djokovic and some of these others, in watching them play, doesn't mean I look up to them as superior human beings, but as better tennis players and equal as a human being. The President of the United States has power and authority and responsibility that I hope never to have thrust on me. On the other hand, I respect it, but I am not in awe of it. I am not in awe of any human being. And when I sit down with a doctor, I say to myself, and I do this, he knows what I don't know, and hopefully he knows enough to help me. Hopefully he's human enough to tell me if he can't help me and won't do anything to hurt me in the attempt to help me. But whatever he knows, whatever his education, whatever his economic status, we are equal as human beings. And so if you feel that a therapist is looking down on you, they don't look at you, they don't hear you, they don't listen to you, they instruct you, they tell you how to live your life, get out of there. This is dangerous to you because if you are so-called mentally ill, it is my guess that this is what has shaped your existence in the first place and has led you to live the kind of life and live as the character in a story that is causing you all that kind of pain. Okay? couple of tips. When you talk to your therapist, you see them taking notes. Every once in a while, ask to see the notes. This, any doctor can be asked, I want to see my chart. I want a copy of it. Most medical doctors do not hesitate. Uh, it's no longer that the, you have to even worry about their handwriting. The, the, uh, uh, stuff is now dictated and electronically signed and typed, and so it's easy to read. You, we all have the right to see what is written about us. The only people who seem to object, and sometimes object very violently, like, why do you want to know this? Why do you want to see this? What is psychologically wrong with you that you would, you would challenge me this way? Are psychiatrists and psychologists. Why? Because what they're writing in the pretense of medical diagnosis is moral diagnosis. And deep down, whether they say it or not, they know it. And they don't want you to see what they're saying. Any therapist who won't show you his notes, get the hell out of there. Or work it out with them. Anybody who then tries to analyze you and therapize about your asking for your notes is a danger to you in the ultimate. So if they won't look at you, if they won't talk to you, if they won't hear you, listen to you, if you don't feel respected, you see, then this is an individual who's not going to help you but hurt you. Now, of course, it could be your interpretation of their behavior, and they may be trying their best to do this, but that's something that's too complicated at this point to go into. You are paying the bill. And you are the individual who is supposed to come out of this process, in my definition and in my morality, 
as a happier, more loving, more creative, more socially and humanly connected individual living to a, with a better story, uh, 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 as I define it, uh, than you came in with. A couple of other things. In fact, I have to do another show on what I call the postmodern point of view. There is no real truth. We all have our points of view and we all have our stories. If a therapist starts to tell you you have bad reality testing, ask him what makes his reality testing better than yours. Your reality testing may be crap, but you don't know that he is any better. And his trying to get control over you by telling you that the way you see the world is wrong is ultimately destructive. The good therapist helps you figure out for yourself through the questions that they ask whether or not the story you live by fits the facts that forms agreements and, and negotiation and discussion with other people about what is true. As our country descends into a kind of a moral, religious, uh, 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 political chest thumping of we're the best and anybody who disagrees with, uh, with us is a bad American or, or an enemy of the country, uh, I become terrified because this kind of authoritarian and totalitarianism is what led to Hitler and communism and all the other isms that are so destructive to us as individuals uh, who are struggling to maintain loving, close relationships that at the same time permit us to be individuals who own and shape our own life story. So, final thought, life is always a work in progress. Uh, we are never the finished product. Uh, if you find yourself thinking, uh, I'm the best, I'm perfect, you're in trouble. If you think your therapist or your father or your mother or your priest or your doctor is the best, you're in equal trouble. We are all human beings who know more or less what we need to know and more of what we have to know. We're all struggling, hopefully, to become better and more effective than we were. But at the same time, we're all human beings who are uh, limited, that we are not gods, we are not perfect. And any thought to that puts us and those uh, around us in great, great danger. So, I'm finished for the evening. I don't know if anybody heard me here. I don't know if anybody would like to call in. Anybody would like to uh, send a, a uh, well, my chat. Let me see. I put a question into the chat. Anybody there? Uh, I don't know who's listening. I don't know. I find out later, you know, not who, but uh, that there was five people, six people. Uh, the last couple of shows I've done, uh, I've gotten some nice response. But again, except for here or there, an individual who contacts me uh, is kind of anonymous. And that's one of the things that always draws me to say, what am I doing this for? Uh, because... Uh, 
I really do, in my own need, uh, feel have to feel that I'm connected with the people uh, who I'm talking to and about, and at the same time, uh, an individual expressing his own ideas and feelings that hopefully might be helpful to others. So, I think I'm done for the evening. Uh, there are now 49 seconds remaining. I think I will end the show, and uh, I'll do one next week, I guess. Uh, I have some ideas for another one, or maybe I will take off a week or two or three or four. Uh, anybody who hears this and likes it, please leave a comment and uh, uh, rate the show highly, uh, because uh, that will allow more people uh, to come and listen. Don't keep me a secret. Uh, I do have a need uh, for your affirmation and for your uh, feedback and for your responses. So, good night. Take care. Good health. And Happy New Year.